0: Welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal newspaper dated Wednesday, January the 25th. And I'm your reader, Kevin Boucher. Headline, state-funded private school financial aid bill awaits Governor Kim Reynolds' signature. And this article was written by Aaron Murphy, Tom Barton, and Caleb McCullough of the Des Moines Bureau of the Sioux City Journal. A state-funded private school financial assistance package costing $345 million a year is headed to Governor Kim Reynolds' desk where her signature would seal her top legislative priority into state law. After more than eight hours of debate, the bill passed both chambers of the Iowa legislature early this morning on Tuesday Reynolds now will sign the legislation into law her office said the bill signing will come exactly two weeks after the bill was introduced for the first time we will fund students instead of a system a decisive step to ensuring that every child in iowa can receive the best education possible Reynolds said in a statement parents and not the government can now choose the education suiting or setting best suited to their child regardless of their income or zip code. And with this bill, Iowa has affirmed that educational freedom belongs to all, not just to those who can afford it. There are currently 33,692 Iowa students enrolled in private schools In the 2022-2023 school year, and that's according to state education departments, Reynolds' proposal, House File 68, will now create taxpayer-funded educational savings account valued at about $7,598, which is the amount that the state of Iowa is currently spending per pupil on public K-12 education and the families then could use that money for private school tuition and other education expenses. Supporters of the new law argue that it makes attending a private school possible for more Iowa students and that taxpayer funding should be used to support any Iowa family who wishes to send their children to a private school. Now, on the other side, opponents counter that the state is responsible for funding public schools and that state programs already exist to help private school students that create a new $345 million annual funding stream for private schools will put future funding of public schools at risk. Critics of the bill also note that taxpayer funding should not go to private schools that are not held to the same reporting requirements as public schools, and because private schools can choose which students to accept, which to reject. Public schools accept all kids. Private schools pick and choose. And that's a quote from Representative Jennifer Conforst. She's the leader of the House Democrats from Windsor Heights, Iowa. This is not about school choice, this is about administrator choice. And the headline for this next article Crescent Park Elementary Building Could Face Demolition. And this story was written by reporter Caitlin Yamada, Sioux City. Crescent Park Elementary could potentially be demolished to make way for a new apartment complex if the school district accepts an offer to buy the property submitted by a developer. If that doesn't pan out, it could be converted into historic apartments, similar to some of the older buildings in Sioux City. Or, another option, it could become a new space for the Urban Native Center. The district received two bids for the Crescent Park property, located at 114 West 27th Street. And the school board is set for public hearing for February the 13th, for community members to uh, show up and provide their input. The high bid was submitted by Koscovich and Murphy Developments of Sioux City, who offer the Sioux City Community School District $150,000 for the property. Once they buy it, they would like to demolish the building and instead build one or two three-story apartment buildings. Koscovich and Murphy Developments recently developed the District 42 Apartments in Sunnybrook and the Elk Greek Housing Subdivision. Currently, they are building a 24-unit apartment complex in the Morningside area also. The developer also was behind in the redevelopment of the Metz Baking Company plant on Highway 75. The other bid the council received was $110,000. Dollars, That bid was submitted by Arch Icon Development and Construction, and they plan on remodeling the building into a historic complex. Arch Icon renovated the central high school annex into the Aberdeen apartments, and they also worked on the Everett Elementary School building and turned that into an apartment complex as well. District legal counsel Dan Moore said the district could entertain other offers during the public hearing on February the 13th. Now by law the district does not have to take the highest best offer and they can consider other factors such as if they want to keep the building. The urban native center also submitted a non-purchase proposal to the district to use the building for expanded services for both children and family and community members. The center would remodel the building to provide a safe learning environment for children and community members while also teaching various activities and culture. Director Val Yukin said in a proposal that it would also expand outreach opportunities and mental health support as well. And a little bit of history on the building, the aging facility was built in 1920 and is by far the oldest school building in the district. The school closed in 2016 when Perry Creek Elementary opened, combining students from Crescent Park, Lincoln, and Clark Elementary. One city council member said that if he had to grade the building condition between an A and an F, he would give it the grade of D. Prior to hosting Hunt Elementary students, the building also held Bright Elementary students while the new school was being built. The district has sold a variety of former school buildings to the public and has become churches and apartment complex, or some of the buildings have even been just demolished by the new owner. And the headline for this next article from the Sioux City Journal Candidates for Woodbury County Board Seats pitched themselves, and this article was written by reporter Caitlin Yamada. Nine candidates for the open Woodbury County Board of Supervisors seat participated in public interviews on Monday. Each individual was given time to introduce themselves and answer questions from the committee to appoint. The applicants so far are... Jeanette Beekman of Pearson, Chad Benson of Lawton, Charles H. Clark, also of Lawton, John F. Crick of Moville, Nathan Heilman of Correctionville, Willard Brian McNaughton of Lawton, Mark Nelson of Correctionville, Barbara Sloniker of Sioux City, and Ted or Todd Week of Lawton. In a random order was chosen for the interviews. The vacant seat was previously held by Rocky DeWitt, who resigned after being elected to the Iowa Senate. And the headline for this next article, Sioux City Public School is Opposing Private School Voucher Programs. And this article was written by reporter Caitlin Yamada the Sioux City Community School District opposes Iowa publicly funding private schools. On Monday's meeting, the school board approved a resolution opposing Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds and Republican lawmakers' state funding private school financial assistance package, which is now law. The law states district that, uh, the resolution states that The Sioux City School District opposes all forms of educational savings accounts. The new law would offer state funding to any Iowa student who wishes to attend a private school. The student's family would receive $7,598 every year to put toward tuition, textbooks, classroom materials, and other types of educational programming expenses. Public schools would lose out on the per-pupil funding for any student who chooses to utilize the program. The school district would get roughly $1,200 in state funding who lives in the district. And according to accountants, uh, the new law is estimated to cost more than $340 million annually with a total cost of $918 million over four years. Interim Superintendent Rod Earlywine said there are 10 private schools in Woodbury County. They would receive a total of about $12.5 million from, uh, from this program. All of this with no accountability and no transparency, he said. School board member Bernie Scolaro said she went to Des Moines on Tuesday to speak to the Iowa House District against the programs she said there were about a hundred people signed up to speak, but it was caught it was uh, shut off at fifty, but she was still able to speak and share her district's negative perspective. Iowa is ranked ninth out of all fifty states in the nation in school choice by the Heritage Foundation's Education Freedom Report card with this ranking predating the expansion of charter schools, tax credits for homeschool, and elimination of an open enrollment deadline, according to the resolution. And the headline, Woman Charged in Sioux City Stabbing. And this article was, report, uh, was written by reporter Nick Hytrek. A female suspect has been taken into custody and charged with stabbing another woman. Sioux City police officers were dispatched to 1512 Isabella Street at about 2.53 p.m. and once there found a 45-year-old woman with multiple stab wounds to her upper back. She was transported to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Police later arrested Jade Hardin, 30, on charges of willful injury going on with intent and assault while participating in a felony. Police are continuing to investigate this incident. And the headline for this next article, man who broke into a house shot and killed by lawfully armed Iowa resident, according to police. And this story was written by reporter John McLaughlin. A man was fatally shot. After breaking into a Monticello man's home last week, and that's according to Monticello's police chief, at 1.48 in the morning on Wednesday, a man called 911 in Jones County to report someone trying to break in his home in the 300 block of South Sycamore Street. Before an officer arrived, the resident armed himself with a gun and shot the intruder who had gotten inside and confronted him, and that's according to the news release. Authorities identified the alleged intruder as 30-year-old Patrick O'Brien. He was pronounced dead at the scene. The man and and a 10-year-old child at the home were uninjured, police said. This incident remains under investigation by the police. And the headline for this uh, next article is uh, about a very fun community event that has been going on for a while. Rivercade's homemade cardboard sled race is coming back for its 20th year. And uh, this article was written by reporter Earl Horlick. Winnevegas Casino Resort will present Rivercade's 20th annual homemade cardboard sled races with Sign in beginning at noon on February the 26th at Cone Park, 3800 Line Drive. Participants will be able to sled in divisions for ages 4 through 6, 7 through 9, 10 through 12, and 13 years and up. Businesses and clubs can also participate. Trophies, including uh, trophies for the most creative sled, will be awarded. No wood, no metal, nor aluminum or plastic will be allowed. Instead, free cardboard sheets, courtesy of West Rock of Siouxland, will be available at the Sioux City Parks and Recreation Department 550 Expo Center. And again, the date for the annual 20th Annual Homemade Cardboard Sled Races, February the 26th. And if you'd like some more information about becoming involved in this wholesome community event, simply call the Parks and Recreation Department at area code 712-279-6126. Once again, the telephone number is 712-279-6126. And the headline for this next article... Laurel murder case to be sent to county court for a hearing, and this article was written by reporter Nick Hightrek. Prosecutors must show evidence that Carrie Jones fatally shot a Laurel, Nebraska man inside his home before her case can proceed to district court. District Judge Brian Meismer on Monday granted a defense request for a preliminary hearing in county court to determine if there's probable cause that Jones committed first-degree murder and other crimes before she can be bound over to Cedar County District Court for arraignment. The judge set the date for the hearing for February the 15th. Prosecutors in December filed a complaint charging that Jones, 43, of Laurel, with first-degree murder, tampering with physical evidence, and being an accessory to a felony directly in district court rather than in the county court, as is the usual procedure. Jones has a right to a preliminary hearing first in county court, and her attorney, counsel Douglas Stratton, requested the hearing on Monday at what was scheduled to be an arraignment in district court. Meismer also granted Stratton's motion for the appointment of an additional attorney to represent Jones and to receive a copy of the search warrant and affidavit that the state used as a basis for the charges against Jones. Those documents were filed under seal because they contained significant details of the investigation. Carrie Jones is accused of killing Gene Twyford in his house at 503 Elm Street in the early morning hours of August 4th when the body of Twyford, 86, his wife Janet, 85, and their daughter Dana Twyford, 55, were found shot to death in their burning home the bodies were discovered shortly after firefighters and police who responded to an explosion in fire three blocks away at 209 Elm Street found the body of Michelle Eveling, 53, who had also been shot. And Jones is currently being held without bond at the Nebraska Department of Corrections Reception and Treatment Center in Lincoln, where he continues to receive treatment for burns received in the incidents. Headline for this next article, Merrill Man Who Killed Stepson Dies in Prison. And this article was re- written by reporter Nick Hightrack. Lamar's is Iowa. A Merrill, Iowa man sentenced last fall to life in prison for killing a stepson has died in prison. The Iowa Department of Corrections said, Thomas Knapp, 84, died Thursday of natural causes while in hospice at the Iowa Medical and Classification Center where he had been housed for a chronic illness. A Plymouth County grand jury in September of 2022 found Knapp guilty of first-degree murder and willful injury for the May 11, 2020 shooting death of 51-year-old Kevin Juzik in their rural Marion Merrill home. And here is the latest Woodbury County Court report, as compiled by reporter Nick Hightrek, Before Judge Patrick Tott, Ricardo David Ramirez, 24, of Sioux City, possession of a controlled substance, third offense, sentence on January the 19th to five years in prison. Rafael Luis Cabrera, Jr., 41, of Sioux City, third-degree burglary, second-degree criminal mischief, first-degree theft, sentenced on January the 18th to 15 years in prison. Kyrese Trevail Weber, 22, of Sioux City, aggravated assault, sentenced on January the 11th to 265 days in jail, and before Judge James Dane, Austin John Pate, 28, of Sioux Falls, operating while intoxicated, possession of a controlled substance, third offense, sentence on January the 17th to five years prison suspended, two years probation on the drug charge, and 10 days in jail for the charge of OWI. Dudley Lee Blackbird, 33, of Sioux City, second-degree criminal mischief, Assault Causing Bodily Injury. Sentenced on January the 18th, to five years prison suspended. Two years probation on criminal mischief charges. 14 days for a charge of assault. And the headline for this next article, Police Say Shooting That Killed Two at Youth Program Was Targeted. And this article was written by Scott McFetridge and Josh Funk, of the Associated Press, Des Moines, Iowa. The killing of two students at an alternative education program designed to help at-risk teenagers in Des Moines was a targeted attack, police say, and an 18-year-old has been charged. The teenagers killed in Monday's shooting at the Starts Right Here program were both males, ages 18 and 16, police said, The program's founder, 49-year-old William Holmes, was seriously injured and underwent surgery. Holmes is an activist and a rapper who goes by the stage name of Will Keeps, and he had left a life of gangs and violence, and instead had dedicated his life to helping young people in Des Moines, and that's according to information from a regional community development group. Preston Walls, 18 of Des Moines, was charged with two counts of murder and one count of attempted murder, police said. He was also charged with criminal gang participation, and authorities said the shooting was the result of an ongoing gang dispute. Walls was on supervised release for a weapons charge and had removed his ankle monitor 16 minutes before the shooting, and that's according to police. Officers who responded saw a suspicious vehicle leaving the area and stopped it. But Walls ran away and was arrested a short time later. According to police, a 9mm handgun was found nearby. The ammunition magazine, which has a capacity of 31 rounds, contained three. Des Moines Mayor Frank County said the two other people in the vehicle with Walls are also teenagers They were taken into custody, and they were released without being charged. County said he spoke to the victim's family members. He says, But there is little one can say that will lessen their pain. Nothing that can be said will bring them back, those who were killed so senselessly, the mayor said. Walls has not yet made a court appearance, and it was not immediately clear if he had an attorney to speak on his behalf. Starts Right Here is a nonprofit educational program that helps at-risk youth in grades 9 through 12, and it is affiliated with the Des Moines School District. The school is designed to pick up the slack and help those kids who need it the most. This shooting was the sixth at a school in the United States this year in which someone was injured or killed by the first with fatalities, according to Education Week, which tracks school shootings. The website said there were 51 school shootings last year involving injuries or deaths, and in a separate shooting outside a Des Moines high school last March, one student was killed and two other teens were badly injured. Ten people, who were all between the ages of 14 and 18 at the time of the shooting, were charged afterward. Five of them have pleaded guilty to various charges. Headline for this next article, 26-year-old Lincoln, Nebraska man faces felony charges for fifth DUI, and that's according to the sheriff's office. And this story is provided by the Lincoln Journal-Star newspaper. A single car rollover crash Thursday morning could lead to felony charges for a Lincoln man, who is accused of his fifth DUI offense. That's according to the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office. Deputies who responded to the crash northwest of Lincoln at about 11.45 in the morning Thursday found Grant Gregory's 2020 Nissan Rogue in a ditch and smelled the odor of alcohol coming from the 26-year-old, Chief Deputy Ben Houchin said. Gregory, whose driver's license had been revoked after his third DUI conviction, rolled his SUV near Northwest 42nd Street and Old Woodlawn Road, just north of the Lincoln Airport. Houchin said. Gregory's blood alcohol content was .096, and he was arrested on suspicion of his fifth offense, DUI, a felony and he was also charged with driving during his license being revoked. And the headline for this next article from the Sioux City Journal, Every Child Has a Future, Omaha Special Education Teacher Receives Milken Award. And this article was written by reporter Lauren Wagner of the Omaha World Herald. Lisa Moody was doing what she does best when Jefferson Elementary School staff and students Gathered Friday morning for what seemed like a normal assembly. The special education teacher was in the back of the crowd as she helped a student with a small jigsaw puzzle, something for, to keep him from getting overstimulated in such a large group. Pretty soon the school community learned that the real reason for the gathering was to recognize one of its own with the nationally Millikan Educator Award. As Moody was waiting to congratulate one of her colleagues, while she helped her student finish the puzzle, she hardly recognized that her name had been called. After nearly a dozen years at Jefferson, located in South Omaha, Moody received the honor from the Milken Family Foundation. The foundation is an award that gives a $25,000 prize, and it's given to a select group, of K-12 educators in the United States. According to the foundation, the awards are usually given to early to mid-career education professionals for their achievements and the promise of what they will accomplish in the future. Last year, two Nebraska teachers received this award. Deborah Friesen, Deputy Education Commissioner, said Moody's work in special education has changed the lives of not just her own students, but also the students in the whole school. She has done an outstanding job of making sure that every student gets the resources and a sense of community they need to be successful and receive an excellent education, she said. One specific example of Moody's work is a hybrid inclusive education program she invented. The program mainstream students in her special education alternative curriculum program into general education classrooms. The students then learn social skills in the classroom while still working with Moody on academic subjects and life skills. Kamari Pinky, a fourth grader at Jefferson, who used to be Moody's student, still visits her daily after school to check in on what she's doing. And Kamari said that when she heard that her teacher's name had been called out, he knew right away that that she deserved the award. I was crying tears of joy, he said. Whenever we needed help with homework or tests, she would always help. She deserved it, and I am so proud of her. You are listening to the reading of the Sioux City Journal newspaper dated Wednesday, January the 25th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. And now, let's turn to today's obituaries. Anthony Tony Oshstetter of Granville, Iowa, 58, died on Tuesday, January 17th, Fish funeral home and monuments in remsen iowa is in charge of arrangements neva j bean of salix iowa 83 died on january the 15th the meyer brothers morningside chapel is in charge of arrangements dorothy r becker 92 of sergeant bluff iowa died on Thursday, January the 19th. Services will be held at a later date. Arrangements are with Waterbury Funeral Service of Sergeant Bluff. Stanley C. Binkley of Omaha, of Oakland, Nebraska, formerly of Hubbard, Nebraska, 98 years old, died on January the 20th, Munderlow Smith Funeral Home in Emerson, is in charge of arrangements. Ernestine M. Collins, one hundred years old of Sioux City, died on Tuesday, January the seventeenth. Christie Smith Funeral Homes and Morningside Chapel are in charge of arrangements. Carter Lee Gardner, eighty-one years old, formerly of Sergeant Bluff, Iowa, passed away on January the tenth in Sun City, Florida, surrounded by his loving family. He was born on December 21, 1941, in Miami, Florida, to the late Doris May Carter Gardner and Charles Lee Gardner. He enjoyed growing up in Miami and often told stories of old Miami and his day's lifeguarding at Miami Beach. He attended Hialeah High School in Miami, leaving at 17 years old to join the United States Marine Corps. The Marines took Carter to all corners of the globe, including Europe, Vietnam, and Laos. And after serving his country for four years, Carter was honorably discharged on December 10, 1963, at U.S. Naval Amphibious Base in Little Creek, Norfolk, Virginia. Carter remained a proud Marine and patriotic American his entire life. Carter is survived by his seven children, Carolyn and Jeff Cummings, Mary and Michael Dirks, W. Lee and Leah Gardner, Kathleen Gardner, Linda and James DeLong, Kelsey and Kevin Laporte, and Doree Taylor-Morrison. He is also survived by ten grandchildren, Heather, Julianne, Jacqueline, Samantha, Katie, Carly, Jackson, Gardner, Pippa, and Shelby. He is also survived by two great-grandchildren, Joey and Theodore, siblings Lois Lozapina and Kevin Ogden, and dear lifelong friend, Eddie Branham. Carter was preceded in death by his parents, a daughter who died shortly after birth, and oldest son, Charles Lee Gardner, and in lieu of flowers. Memorial contributions may be made in Carter's honor to the National Parkinson's Foundation or the Michael J. Fox Parkinson's Foundation. Fidelis Hoffman of Sioux City, 97 years old, died on Sunday, January the 15th. Waterbury Funeral Service of Sioux City is in charge of arrangements. James T. Horan, 89, of Sioux City died on January 28th, and the Christie Smith Funeral Homes, along with Morningside Chapel, are in charge of arrangements. Richard Raymond Lane of South Sioux City, 91, passed away on Thursday, January the 19th at his residence. Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel is in charge of arrangements. Rich was born on September 14th, 1931 in Sioux City, the son of Raymond and Golda Davis Lane. He graduated from East High School in 1950 and attended DeVry Technical Institute in Chicago. Rich was drafted into the United States Army in 1951, and he was honorably discharged in 1953. He is survived by his wife of almost 70 years, Marilyn Lane, children David Lane and Robert Davey of Ponca, Nebraska, Ronald Lane of South Sioux City, Iowa, Dennis and Aaron Lane of Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, Kathy and Mark Fugelberg of Papillon, Nebraska, and Susie and Terry Mogensen of Ponca. He is also survived by seven grandchildren, 21 great-grandchildren, Sister LaVonne Spencer of Sioux City, and many nieces and nephews. Rich was preceded in death by his parents, and the family would like to thank Michelle and the staff at Hospice of Siouxland for their compassionate care and guidance, and any memorials may be directed to Hospice of Siouxland in Rich's memory. Anita Lundson of South Sioux City, 66 years old, died on Thursday, January the 19th, a celebration of Anita's life will take place on January the 26th from 4 to 7 p.m. at Waterbury Funeral Services of Sioux City. Linda K. Leopold, 74, of former Sioux City resident, died on Sunday, January 1st, at her home in Bakersfield, California. There will be no memorial services. She was born to Dorothy LaVonne Lupson Leopold and Harold Keith Leopold in Sioux City. She graduated from Central High School in 1966 and then from Nebraska Wesleyan University. Lydia was a survivor of the tornado that hit Ruskin Heights, Kansas in 1957. That tornado, though, which proved fatal for her mother and brother, Keith. Her lifelong injuries were treated at the Shriner's Crippled Children's Hospital at St. Paul, having over 25 surgeries. As a lifelong sports lover, Lydia founded competitive sw- or found competitive swimming through her rehab of water aerobics and lap swimming, and she eventually became members of the Rose Bowl Masters Swim Club. Linda is survived by her aunt, Jeanette Lubson, and cousins Jim Holbrook, Jerry and Becky Holbrook, Jamie Holbrook, Judy and Mark Rinders, Jana Hansen, and Jeff Peterson. She was preceded in death by her parents, grandparents Joe and Dorothy Lubson, aunt and uncle Janice and Bob Holbrook, Uncle Jim Lubsen and cousin Joe Lynn Holbrook, and Linda has established the Linda K Leopold Endowment with Nebraska Wesleyan University. This endowment expands opportunities for students for generations to come. And in lieu of flowers, please consider, please consider adding to this endowment in her name. David E. Nixon of Emmitsburg, Iowa, 83, died on Wednesday, January 18, at his home. A celebration of Dave's life will be held in mid to late April in 2023 at Emmitsburg. Arrangements are by Martin Mattis Funeral Home in Emmitsburg. David E. Nixon, the son of Clifford and Joy Long Nixon, was born on February the 20th, 1939, in Pender, Nebraska. Dave received his education and graduated from Dakota City High School in 1957. Now, following his graduation, he he attended Brown Institute in Minneapolis, where he studied broadcasting. Upon completion of the program, Dave accepted his very first position as radio announcer in Scottsbluff, Nebraska at station KOLT. On September 14, 1957, Dave was united in marriage to Connie Langford. They were blessed with three children and they shared 21 years together. Dave and his family's connection with Emmitsburg began as he started the annual tradition of emceeing the St. Patrick's Day Parade and the Miss Shamrock Pageant in the early 1970s. Later, he would meet Julie Crowley Brennan. Dave and Julie were married on December 31st, 1982. He also went on to develop a broadcasting program at Iowa Lakes Community College in Emmitsburg and became the dean. In 2003, Dave accepted a position as the president of Monroe Community College in Michigan, where he remained until his retirement in 2013. And he is survived by his children, Dave Nixon Jr. and fiancé Becky Griffin, of Wellman, Iowa, Rick Nixon of West Des Moines, Iowa, and Leslie Maddie Nixon, also of West Des Moines, their mother, Connie Nixon of West Des Moines, four grandchildren and granddaughters, Samantha Nixon, Logan Davis, J. Davis, and Brianna Maddie. He is also survived by sibling Sylvia Tybee Stinger, Of South Sioux City, Judy and Lloyd Barker of South Sioux City, and Bill and Donna Nixon of Springfield, South Dakota, sister in law Mary Ann and Charles Slagle, nieces Susan and Carrie Boyd and Peggy Slagle, and many friends and countless acquaintances. He was preceded in death by his parents Clifford and Joy Nixon, wife Judy. On April 3rd, 2020, nephew Carl Slagle and his niece and Ellen Slagle Christie, A friend once told Dave, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. And now, uh, turning to the opinion page of the Sioux City Journal newspaper and starting off with a couple of letters to the editor. Uh, This first editor says, don't award Riverside Fields' lease to the arena. The Sioux Land Youth Athletics relinquished its lease of the six softball and youth-sized baseball fields at Riverside Park in the fall of 2022. A committee created by the City Council met and they awarded the lease to the Westside Little League. The Council did not follow the recommendations. Instead, more meetings were held in the spirit of cooperation for field success and access. And because the talks did not fully satisfy the arena's needs, the city then directed more talks, with a new committee recommending awarding the lease to the arena. This is not an appropriate method of business for the city. West Side, which is just beginning an official Little League softball program for girls, needs the fields and the ability to get the program off the ground. In fact, one little league is adding little league softball for girls, and they may not have enough fields. The city council, which is scheduled to vote on the proposed lease soon, should vote against the measure. No more should the city award the lease to the arena, acting under the auspices of the Hess Foundation. Westside has a 50-year charter and a deep history in Sioux City, and the arena has been in business for some four years. The city should not prop up a for-profit business over the merits and efforts of Westside, a volunteer not-for-profit organization. This would set a horrible precedent for the city. And that letter to the editor was written by Bob Protexter. Bob is the founder and the executive director of Total Baseball Development for Sioux City and the Iowa Great Lakes. Hmm. And let's uh, read another letter to the editor. Iowa Voucher Plan for Private Schools raises a lot of questions. And again, this is a letter to the editor. I believe this country has achieved greatness through the rise of the middle class, largely because of public education of the general population. And the bill in the Iowa legislature now to provide state funding to parents who enroll their children in private schools is coming up for a vote soon. But I'm concerned about some provisions about which I haven't heard. Number one, If the money for private school vouchers is readily available, why are there so many arguments about funding for public schools each year? Number two, what requirements will be imposed for minimal education standards associated with private schools accepting these public funds? And number three question I have is, will every school receiving public funds be required to accept any and all students who want to attend as do public schools? Well, without education standards and acceptance rules, we will not be advancing the goals of widespread quality ed- education, which I believe we wish to achieve. And that letter to the editor was written by Michael Potash of Sioux City, Iowa. And here is another letter to the editor. Headline, Unlimited Tuition Grants Are Not Foundational Education. If we are not providing a foundational education for our children, then we are failing. And that uh, is an exact quote from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds on the 2023 condition of the state address. However, even though she said that, Reynolds proposed a paltry 2.5% increase in funding for public schools and unlimited tuition grants for students to attend private schools, which would take away funding for public schools. To me, that doesn't sound like a plan for a foundational education in Iowa. Most of us are very proud of our local public schools. And that letter to the editor was written by Jim Kennedy of Okoboji, Iowa. And let's see. Oh, yeah, right now, let's read an opinion piece from the editors of the newspaper. Again, this story I'm about to read is from the actual editors of the Sioux City Journal newspaper. And they give this one the headline, Show Patience during and after winter storms. Put a little snow on the ground and the worst comes out in people. My street isn't cleared, they gripe. My mail didn't come. My paper hasn't arrived. What they don't understand is that excessive snow, and yes, we have that this week, stalls and snarls everything. When there's too much snow to move, city officials can't make it magically disappear. If the streets aren't clear, other delivery services can't get out. And so we would like to tell the residents, instead of complaining, be more understanding. If it's not safe to be out, it probably isn't safe for someone else to be out either. And if you want to help the city snow uh, crews, Follow their simple rules. Don't park on the streets when they're trying to get them cleared. Use your driveway. Don't crowd the snow plows. You may think that you need to race home, but slow and steady could be the best way to go. Use your headlights so people can see your vehicle when the snow is blowing. Stay home unless you absolutely have to get out. Thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, Many companies now have a very robust work from home option for their employees. Take advantage of that and just hunker in. And so while it might seem like a good idea to shovel your sidewalk as soon as possible, don't attempt the job until it's lights out and the snow isn't blowing. So when it's safe, get the shovels and snow blowers and go to work and let others know you're outside. Take breaks and pace yourself. And if you're lucky enough to have someone else do the work, be sure to say thank you. And sometimes it's these two words that can make the worst weather more tolerable. Just be nice and considerate. And reading uh, one more opinion piece from the editorial page of the Sioux City Journal, this is from columnist Dan Lee. And the headline for this next article, uh, opinion piece, Love of Money and Love of the Land. And he writes, I'm spending the month of January in our cabin in Montana. It's a good place to think about what is really important in life and what our priorities should be. And by the time that this piece runs, I will be joined by nine Augustana students for a very special j-term course as i write this they are riding on an amtrak train for a 32-hour trip that will bring them to our neck of the woods here in montana this experience for them will be an opportunity to reflect on how many personal possessions we really need and about how to keep our lives in balance in Populorum Progressio, Pope Paul VI observes the pursuit of life's necessities are quite legitimate, but the acquisition of worldly goods can lead men to greed into the unrelenting desire for more. In the last chapter of the book, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, Max Weber, writing, and he is quite pessimistic about our chances of escaping from this cage. Others, though, are a little more optimistic. An old Shaker's song, the melody of which Aaron Copeland weaves into Appalachian Spring, begins, "'Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free." The well-known writer Henry David Thoreau found peace and renewal at Walden Pond, and as recounted in a Sand County almanac, conservationist Aldo Leopold treasured every moment that he spent at the shack, an old farmhouse that he described as his family's weekend refuge from too much modernity. The author of First Timothy observed, "...for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil." And indeed, people motivated by the love of money have done immense damage to the environment and to the people who inhabit planet Earth, including the Native Americans who lived in what is now the United States, long before Europeans arrived and began exploiting the land and its people. And at the same time, the American experience is also the story of people who love the land and care about the people who inhabit the land. Among them is Leopold, who observed, It is inconceivable to me that an ethical relation to land can exist without love, respect, and admiration for the land. And the key to fostering love for the land is experiencing and rejoicing in the beauty of nature, which is part of what this Montana journalism course is intended to help accomplish. And when the sun breaks through the clouds, Montana is incredibly beautiful during the winter. And among the activities that the students will be participating in when they come up here to the cabin, they'll have the opportunity to go on a 12-mile dog sled ride through the wooded foothills of the mountains, with the dogs yelping with exuberance as they race down the trail. Sound like fun? And that opinion piece was written by Dan Lee. He is a regular columnist, and he is the Marion Taft Cannon Professor in the Humanities at the University of Augustana. And briefly, in sports, uh, there was no stopping a desperate Ohio State basketball team recently. Just ask Iowa. The Iowa Hawkeyes watched the Buckeyes score inside and out with ease. The, Iowa, the uh, Buckeyes shot 64% from the field in the second half to pull away to a Big Ten victory 93-77 over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa trailed 37-35 at halftime, but couldn't answer an Ohio State team, which opened the second half on a 12-4 run. The Iowa Hawkeyes team was led by Chris Murray, who finished with 22 points and team-leading totals of seven rebounds and four assists. Philip Rebraca added 15 points for the Hawkeyes. And that does it for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal newspaper, dated Wednesday. January the 25th, 2023, I'm your reader, Kevin Boucher. And you know, you can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. Thanks for listening.